0: You're listening... You're listening... To a University of Kentucky...
1: University of Kentucky... College of Arts and Sciences podcast. In November, we were given the opportunity to record an alumni panel featuring several accomplished graduates from the Department of Modern Classical Languages, Literatures, and Cultures. The panel was planned and moderated by Linda Worley, who wanted to give students the opportunity to speak with alumni who have successfully combined their master's degrees in MCLLC with another professional degree. Within this panel, we hear from three professionals, Sean Kinder, Jason Kelly, and Nate Smith, about their experiences in education and in the field. We join the panel with Nate Smith describing his career path, followed by Jason Kelly and
2: Sean Kinder. Um, so I'm like, well, that's not going to work. So, but I did love working with students. I didn't like teaching, but I loved to work with students. So I'm like, well, student affairs, advising, financial aid, study abroad, something like that. So um, I started working then on the education masters and finished up, finished both degrees in about three years, which wasn't too bad. Um, my last semester did an internship over at BCTC. Um, and As soon as I graduated, I got a full-time job there. So I've been there for the last about four years. I haven't been out too long, just about four years.
1: And I do want to brag on people a little, too, because they're being very modest. Aren't you sort of, or were recently, like international project manager for Switzerland and France for Lexmark? A little bit of that, yeah. <laughs> and haven't you been Director of Student Services at VCT? People are being so modest.
2: I, I'm going to brag. I did just, I, I just finished up a stint as Interim Director of Student Services, yeah. So, and
1: you've done international advising. Just international advising, yeah. So, I,
2: I want to add. Something. I teach I teach on the side as well, because like I said, I, I liked teaching. I didn't love it. So, in my job, that's good, because I get to work with students all the time, which I love. But I also get to teach a little bit too, which I like to do a little bit of, and this lets me do that without
0: having to just teach all the time. Yeah.
1: And and Professor Kinder. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm bragging on everybody. They're being much too modest. Sean.
0: Well my name is Sean Kinder. I was born and raised in West Virginia and I did my undergraduate degree at Marshall, um, in French and English. And I decided to look at programs and I got accepted into all the programs actually that I applied to, but UK offered me the most money. So, but I also wanted to go to UK because it was closer to home. So, and the culture was very similar. So I went to UK and um, I did my first year and I had never been to France. And they were stunned that I was doing this master's in, in French, I had never been to France. I'm like, wow, that's really kind of characteristic for people, you know, this far. I uh, so, well, you know, the opportunity. I was actually going to spend a year in Angers, but it didn't work out at the last minute. So, you know, life has a way of throwing you some curveballs. So I went on to to UK, and when they heard about that, they said, you know, we have this great program where you can spend a year in France at at the Via, and they said, why don't you apply for that? I'm like, well, I, I guess I hadn't even thought about it because I just wanted to get my master's in. in and go on. I always wanted to be a French professor. And I thought, this will be a year out of my time. I'm like, I don't know. And I'm like, no, you really need to go. This is really important that you at least know a little bit about the country that you want to teach about. So I said, OK. And I applied and I got the, the year abroad. And it was a really interesting experience. It was a very difficult year for me because I had never been abroad and I was learning a lot of things. I was very shy and timid, even my first year of grad school. But living abroad really forced me to grow up and um, kind of believe in myself. So I came back a very changed person. I thought I had much more confidence and um, it was just a really life-altering experience, as Jason mentioned too, when you live abroad, and them, it does change you as a person. Um, so I finished up my degree and I was going to go on to get my doctorate because that was my goal. And I was very strategic in my doctorate plans, because I, I thought, so I'm gonna pick the area that's the least studied in French literature so I'll have the best shot of a job, and um, which was Renaissance period. So I was gonna go into French Renaissance, Renaissance period, and um, I had the school picked out, I had the support of the department, but overnight I just felt like it just wasn't the right time for me. I just wasn't sure that I wanted to do that. I really enjoyed teaching. So I thought, if I love teaching so much, I want to go on and, and teach. So I looked into different programs, and if I stayed at UK to work on my master's in teaching, then they were gonna make me take a whole bunch of undergraduate classes. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that, I've, I've done that. So I went back to Marshall, back to West Virginia, where I'm from, and I did my master's in teaching. And then I taught for a couple years in public schools. Well, I was certified for French and English, five through 12, but it was very difficult for me to find a French position. I would would have loved to teach French, but there weren't any positions. So I ended up teaching English, and I didn't really like teaching English. It, I like English, but English is very different than French in a high school setting. It's a requirement. French is an elective. So if they had to take a foreign language, they could take German or Spanish. So it's a little bit different. And I was just not very happy. I didn't feel like I was being challenged. and I didn't feel like it was what I wanted to do long term. So. I was at a really big crossroads because I had two master's degrees and I wasn't happy with my career. So I had to really do some thinking and I had some friends who had done library science and I started thinking about that. I came back to UK and just explored the program I thought, yes, I'm going to do that. So I applied and I got in the program and I finished my, my degree and for almost 14 years I've been the humanities, social sciences librarian at Western Kentucky university so really really happy that I changed my life I changed my career path Um, I'm still able to use my teaching skills when I teach information literacy or research instruction to students Um, I'm able to use my French skills I'll talk about that a little bit later but uh, I feel like I have the best of both worlds because I'm in an academic environment I'm around students I'm able to teach use my skills but not necessarily in the way I had been using them when I was a high school teacher
1: I guess I'll ask a question because we all know what the stereotype of the librarian is, right? I could ask all of you, and you're laughing. Um, Do you even want to tell people what it is you do besides going up and down the uh, halls and telling people to be quiet?
0: (laughs) I don't shush people. I don't have a bun. So that's, that's the first two things I want to say. Well, I'm so glad to be able to tell you what I do, because I've had people say really denigrating very negative things to me about library science and my role as a librarian. And some librarians are not even going to to tell you that they are librarians, they'll use the term information professional, because that sounds like it has more prestige. Because there is kind of a a stigma or a a negative perception of it, but it's a great job. I've had people tell me, I wish I could sit all day and stamp books. I don't stamp books. First of all, I'm a faculty member. I have faculty status. So at Western, you have to have at least you know, your master's in a content area and a master's in library science minimum for you get the job. I am a full-fledged faculty, which means I publish, I go to conferences. You know, my teaching is my reference desk duties. I'm held at the same tenure requirements as the regular teaching faculty. So I take a little unreach when people say that I'm not um, doing a professional job on the simply stamping books. If I stamp books, which I don't do, that's circulation. I work reference desk. Um, I work nine hours a week on the reference desk. So I handle all different types of questions. Yes, I am the humanities, social sciences librarian, but if someone comes up to me with a biology question, I help them with the biology question. So I have to know the databases and the material very well. If I don't know... The content area, then I will direct them to the science librarian. But we we fill all different types of questions. I get a lot of questions from faculty. I get a lot of questions from staff, not just students. Um, That's my nine hours on the desk. I am responsible for purchasing the books for 12 different areas. So I order all the French books, all the German books, all the Spanish books, all the Arabic books. I am responsible for all of the uh, pop culture books, film studies, anthropology, archaeology, journalism and broadcasting. Um, Sociology, probably forgetting something. And in addition to all of those, I'm responsible for research instruction for all of those areas if faculty from those areas contact me. So Sean, we're doing X in our Sociology class. Can we come over and have a tour? And then will you take us into the um, lab and show us the databases or the electronic resources responsible for your area? So I do that. Um, I'm of course obliged to publish. I've written a book. We're a publisher for that book. Um, I go to conferences, get presentations. I serve on, I know Linda said this to numerous committees, university, um, library wise, and even on the state level with KLA. So I, I don't just sit at the desk and stand books. So I'm really offended when people think that's what I do, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, people who work at, at that's that's great. They they serve a function, but we each have our jobs, and I think that was kind of a, a dig at, at my profession. So I, I felt pretty offended when someone. Said it to me, but I just want to show and explain to you that what I do is very diverse. I'm really never bored in my job. I've always got so many things I'm working on. I mean, they expect a lot of you on faculty, but you know, I'm obliged to do all the things they ask me to do, and it's 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 um, very time-consuming and it's stressful at times, which is something people don't think that being a librarian can be stressful. It can be because you are a faculty member and. I didn't understand that when I was in your position. When I was your age, um, we didn't have concurrent degrees. When I was in the French department, there was a French department, not the modern language or whatever. Um, we, um, we weren't advised to do concurrent degrees. We, you know, that wasn't in the cards for us. Um, I didn't really understand what a professor did. You know, I just knew that I loved school, I was successful at school, I liked my content area. I thought, I wanna teach. Well, I didn't really understand all the committee work you're doing and all the other outside obligations that you're doing. I just, I knew you had to do some research. I didn't understand the, the level that was required for you to get tenure and promotion. I, and I just felt like it would have been nice for, for someone to sit down and explain. And I, I'm, you're getting some of this now, which is why I'm going on at length about my experience. But um, that's kind of my trajectory, and I'm happy to. Answer or talk to you about what I experience.
1: How about if we hear this from each, and then we can start asking questions? How does that sound? Good? Nate, what do you do? Let me put what it out for the same <laughs> thing. You're an advisor. Isn't that true? You see people for 10 minutes once a semester.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I've had several jobs since I've been at BCTC. Um, I started out as an unpaid intern, and let, let me talk about that. It, if you haven't done an internship then do one that's how I got my job I would not have my job if I had not done an internship so I cannot talk highly enough about internships but I start off as an unpaid intern um, got promoted to temp and then when I finished my degree I hired on full-time so yes I started off in the advising job where you see a student for 30 minutes once a semester give them their classes and then you're done um, which is fine, I like working with students. Um, The job I'm in now is very different. I'm an educational advisor, which is um, similar to an advisor, but what I do, so as an advisor, a regular advisor, I had about 400 students that I worked with each semester, sometimes more. Now I have 40 students, and my full-time job, what I do 40 hours a week is work with those 40 students. That's it, I sit in my office all day and wait for them to come in with problems just those 40 students, everybody else I don't care. That's not true, (laughs) but that's what I'm hired to do is just look after these 40 students. And these students, they're at-risk students. They're students who've been selected because maybe they need extra support. Uh, Generally, they're maybe the first in their family to go to college, so they don't have parents who went to college to kind of guide them. Or they're low income, so maybe they don't have access to some of the resources that other students do. So that's what I do, I work with those students. I do personal counseling. I I do what a regular advisor does, I help them pick classes but I do so much more than that. I do financial aid counseling, I do scholarship searches, like I said, personal counseling. Um, when they're looking for jobs, we do resumes, interview skills. Um, I help them look for jobs. If they're wanting to transfer to UK, as most of them are, I help them make sure they're taking the classes they need, that they're getting ready for whatever degree it is that they want to go into. Um, we set up social events for them to try to get them involved on campus, because a lot of them aren't. They come to school and then go home, and. We know that students are more involved or more likely to graduate. Um, I kind of like their parent. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's just, yeah, it's great because I have these 40 students and um, it's not like the other students I've worked with. I see these students almost every day, not all of them, but at least once a week I see all of my students. So you build a much better relationship with them because they're stuck with me from the day they start my program until the day they graduate. So I'm working with these students for two or three years. Whereas those 400 students I had, I would see them one semester and then their second semester they're assigned to somebody else. I only see each student one time and then I never see them again. Whereas these guys, I work with them until they finish, so you get to build a really good relationship. So it is more like a teaching position than it is advising because we do so much stuff with them. So if you're um, thinking advising is you're not building meaningful relationships, there are advising jobs out there where you can do that, where it is kind of more of a teaching position. And then I also do teach, I've taught German at BCTC. Um, This semester I'm teaching FYE 105, which is our freshman orientation class, so we do like study skills, time management, things like that. Um, I've done some work with our international committee. We're setting up an international mentoring program right now, so I'm involved with that. Um, I've worked with study abroad at my school. Um, I've worked with um, international students, doing some advising with them. so yeah, I mean, my position allows me a lot of freedom. I'm allowed to get my, involved in a lot of different things, which is nice, it keeps things fresh. Um, I've been able to start some of my own initiatives, which is great. Of course, this depends where you work. If you get that kind of support, you know, not everywhere's gonna give you that kind of freedom, but those opportunities are definitely out there. Yeah, and
1: if I may add, when did you graduate?
2: 2010, yes, yeah, so I haven't been out very long, yeah.
1: It's mm-hmm. four yeah. years, right? yeah. <laughs> Just, mm-hmm. so that is pretty exciting. Within four years, mm-hmm. that really is. Yeah. Well, what what do you do at Lexmark? Do do?
3: <laughs> so my my current role is um, program manager for global sales execution in Lexmark. It's basically helping our various geographies execute to their uh, quarterly sales targets, improving internal business processes to help them get there. That type of thing. Um, what I thought I'd do is I'd start from Please. the beginning, um, kind of give you a better perspective. So, you know, let's start from day one after graduation. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, my original goal after graduating, of course, I did Patterson School in, in German. Um, you know, my, my goal was to get into the diplomatic service, um, number one. Number two, uh, maybe to get into something like, Know, supporting transatlantic relations through an organization or a nonprofit like the German Marshall Fund or Atlantic Council, something like that in DC. Um, and I thought, you know, international business is maybe kind of a good plan B, right? Um, <clears throat> so after I graduated, I thought, you know, I'll start sending out resumes. I've got this cool degree. I've got this internship that I did. I've got this international ex- experience. Should be a piece of cake, right? Um, reality is a little bit different. Um, and. It has, uh, has to do with a number of factors. I think number one being the, the, just the job market I was going into at the time uh, was a little bit difficult. Um, but I also had to learn a few things. One being how to effectively market myself in the job market. Right? How do I kind of create my own I hate to use the word brand, but how do I kind of differentiate myself when I'm sending out resumes and uh, cover letters and that type of thing. And It, 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 took, some, it took a while to kind of get the swing, of, you know, get the handle on how to do that the right way. Right? Um, in such a way that raises employers uh, that, you know gets uh, attention, right, from uh, different employers. Um, number two, just learning that I need to grow my network, right, going out and meeting people. Um, that can give you visibility to some opportunities that you might not see publicized, right? Um, you hear that probably very often, that you know, network, network, network. Uh, it's kind of a cliche, but I think it's really true. Um, and it might not sound very egalitarian, but more and more these days, I think that's the way that people get jobs, right? It's, it's really through who you know. Um, and that's increasingly the case, I think. It um, was the case for me, and I think it's becoming even more so <clears throat> in recent years. Um, and thirdly, just the somewhat limiting factor, and this goes for people who are maybe in Patterson School thinking about doing that kind of uh, line of work, somewhat of a limiting factor of trying to apply for jobs in D.C. or Chicago from Lexington was a little bit difficult if you don't have roots there or have you know, really good contacts in those locations. So that was a little bit of a difficult uh, learning curve, if you will, that I had to kind of go through. But six months after graduation, I, working through my contacts, I found a, uh, an opportunity at Lexmark. Um, that was a temporary contract; it wasn't a permanent uh, permanent position, but uh, it was a good opportunity, and I took it. Uh, I Was doing like market research and data analysis and like IT project management kind of stuff. Um, And I thought, well this is a good stepping stone while I look for other opportunities, right? Um, And so I was doing that and applying to various different things. And after I kind of got the swing of this whole job application networking kind of thing, about six or eight months into it, I started getting calls, right? I started getting interview requests. Um, I had interviews with the German-American commerce, Chamber of Commerce, excuse me, in, in Chicago, the American Chamber of Commerce in Frankfurt. I had a uh, phone interview with them, um, just started to pick up. And then I had a couple of interviews in uh, with German companies down in North Carolina. I had a really interesting experience with a um, Bosch-Siemens uh, joint venture company that was down in North Carolina. They invited me down for a couple of interviews, had some hour long interviews in German which was really interesting. Uh, and yeah, that's a whole other story, that whole experience, but um, they ended up making me a pretty good job offer that I was really interested in. Uh, I said, well, this is, this is pretty cool. I thought, thought about pulling up roots and moving down to North Carolina. Told my manager at, at Lexmark, as said, well, you know, I've got this opportunity. I'm thinking about moving on. Oh, wait a minute. We don't want you actually to go anywhere. Um, we want you to stay here. And I said, well, okay, what, what's that gonna look like? So they kind of made me an offer that I couldn't turn down, and because of that and some other factors, I decided to stay put. Um, even though working for a g- big German company like Siemens was a, uh, you know, kind of a dream, I've, other factors kind of came into the picture that uh, that made me stay here, where, which is where I'm from. I'm from Lexington originally. So, um, so that being said, I guess the takeaway for you is just, you know, number one, you know, have goals, have dreams, you know, don't let go of that, but have a plan B, right? <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes life can kind of throw you curve balls that you're not expecting, and sometimes opportunities can come up that you hadn't really considered before. Right? Other avenues can come up that you can say, "Hey, you know, I can, I can fit into that," or "Hey, this is something I hadn't thought of before." So, uh, you know, I think from my experience, I can, that's something I can um, definitely uh, recommend—just having that plan B. But um, a year after then getting that uh, that permanent job offer from Lexmark, um, I got my first international project assignment in, uh, in France, which was really exciting. And then that led into uh, another position where I was working for a couple of years in um, environmental sustainability and corporate social responsibility for Lexmark. So I was on a team there uh, for a couple of years where we were working on environmental product standards in both the U.S. and in the European Union. Um, and I had the opportunity to work on a um, uh, sort of an international product standards board that was led by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Um, That's where really my training from the Patterson School really came into play. We sat on some uh, different committees uh, with different international stakeholders, and we were out there trying to represent Lexmark's position in this this standard-setting process. Uh, So that was a really exciting time, and that kind of led into my uh, assignment for a half year to our European office, which was in Geneva, Switzerland, still is in Geneva, Switzerland. Um, and so that was, uh, those couple of years here were really a pretty exciting time, um, and that I could really draw on my, my learnings from both the Patterson School and from, the, uh, and from, my, from my German studies. Um, and so since then, so after coming back from Switzerland, uh, then I kind of moved into a more product marketing role. So I was a uh, product marketing manager for our sort of web based programs that we have for our small and medium sized business uh, customers uh, that led to Mark Targets. Uh, did that for a couple of years, and I just recently had moved into this new role focused on global sales execution um, worldwide. So um, that's kind of my nutshell uh, biography. And in oh. graduate was two
1: thousand four, two thousand
3: five, five. In and yeah.
1: again, it, that's these are all very impressive careers in a relatively short time. I have some questions, but I'm sure you do too. Maybe yes wants to break the question barrier? Tim,
0: I can see. Yeah, yes, I can. have several questions. Uh, one of
2: them, uh, i guess, anybody can speak to it. Uh, how do you go about finding these uh,
0: internationally related positions, for example, at Lexmark? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have never thought to look for jobs at Lexmark, especially something as internationally related as
2: what you yeah. Uh, how do you go about finding those positions? What leads you to
3: them? I guess I could start. Um, so, like I mentioned, you know, networking, right? Um, that's, that's how I got into my, that's how I got into Lexmark. Uh, I wasn't even considering Lexmark before, really. Uh, now, I just kind of have international business as a vague idea. you um, are really getting out there and talking to people, going to <coughs> conferences, going to uh, different networking events. Uh, to really, you know, obviously brought a new perspective, meet new people, get new ideas, um, and I think more and more, as I mentioned before, I I think that's the way a lot of professional careers come to start nowadays, right? And you know, this whole paradigm of, of the old paradigm, I think of, you know, I graduate, I apply, I get a job. That's kind of, that's kind of gone by the wayside, um, unfortunately, to some degree. Um, I, actually, there was just a big article I think a couple of months ago um, in The Economist magazine um, that was talking about this idea of internships been around for a long time but internships are really increasingly becoming the way that companies hire and the way that people get experience before they get into the workforce Um, and I can only very much encourage you to look at any possibilities that you have before graduation even after graduation of um, internships any experience that you can get on your resume, if it's volunteer work, writing your own blog, starting your own business, I don't know, any experience you can get that can really make you more marketable uh, to different employers, and give you a, a, an edge uh, when you're out there applying for jobs, any of that um, that you can get under your belt, I think is, is time well spent, um, obviously broadening your education, but also you know making you more employable as you go out. So, um, you know, Looking for opportunities like that, internship uh, possibilities in, 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 in different places, right? It doesn't have to be try a different places, try a nonprofit internship, try a business internship, try different things, because it allows you a uh, chance to experiment with different career possibilities as well, right? Um,
2: so that's what I would encourage you to do. Right. Other radios? Yeah, uh, I have not worked abroad to that extent for sure. And the main thing I've looked at in um, working abroad would be teaching English. So I can talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah. So there might be some of you who are interested in that. Um, I taught English in the Czech Republic, um, and I just found that online. You know, I just did a search because there's, and you know, there's so many English teaching jobs in Europe, especially Asia now. Um, so definitely online is a place to start. But again, it goes back to connections. I got a job offer in South Korea to teach English um, because I knew a guy who was teaching English there. So if you can get to get people, I mean you're all in international programs, you have friends who've studied abroad, worked abroad, you know, connect with them, or even previous graduates, you know, if you can get in touch with them. I know we're talking about doing a mentoring thing, where maybe you can reach out to some of us if you have questions or things. Um, So definitely reaching out to any connections you have, Um, again, um, and then again, he mentioned it, I mentioned internships, I would not have, I don't know what I'd be doing right now, or where I would be if I had not got this internship at BCTC. and it was because it wasn't necessarily because of the work I did at BCTC as an intern. So I did work hard, but it was more of the people I got to know during the internship, and those people were then on the hiring committees for jobs that I applied for. Um, so I got to know people. So again, it goes back to connections. Um, so any experience you can get, like some, at least in my field, it's so much so that When you're searching for jobs, there are so few jobs that say entry level anymore. They want two to three years experience, five years experience. Um, and any of that you can get before you graduate is going to help you because you may find some places that well if you have the right qualifications the right degrees maybe they'll look overlook some of that but you got to get some experience anyway way that you can um, for example if you're wanting to go into education uh, and that's that's what I'm feeling that's what I'll talk about BCTC has a ton of temporary positions you know it's not great pay it's not there's no benefits But you get in there, you get to do the actual job. You're not getting coffee for somebody, you're doing the actual job. Yeah, Yeah. well, um, and you're getting real world experience and it will pay off. And if I could just add on to that before I leave the thought. So you bring up a very good point about
3: um, not only internships, but um, looking at any sort of temporary contractual opportunities that might be out there to get your foot in the door somewhere. Uh, Because at least in my experience, Just getting that on your resume makes you more interesting for employers than somebody who just got graduated and, boing, here I am. You know, you've got some real-world experience you can at least list on that resume that, for me, I think, looking back on it, I think that's one of the main reasons that the uh, the interview requests started rolling in, because they could see, oh, he's kind of working at this company, oh, he's got this degree, okay, maybe he's a little bit more employable than just somebody who just kind of freshly came out of of school. So, again, just kind of reiterating uh, that point of making connections looking for anywhere you can get your foot in the door
2: to kind of just start that that uh, uh, that journey, right? Sam? Just another example. I finished my German degree a year before education. When I finished German, I was like, well, I'll go ahead and try, see if I can find a job. If I find one, I'll finish education later. When I finished German, I applied for 130 jobs, and I didn't get any interviews. I finished education, got my internship. A year later, I applied for five jobs, got five interviews.
1: But that doesn't say that German is not a good
2: degree. No, no, <laughs> but I got the experience I, I'm i yeah, yeah, no. yeah.
0: Sean? Well, yes. my experience was teaching English, so I don't, I probably can't really add much to what's already been said, um, like Nathan said, but I, I think, I'll be honest, I think it's hard to find international jobs. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure where you're looking for. I'm not sure if you're looking for Europe or, you know, South America or Asia. But like Europe for instance you know competition is very tough I mean you're looking at countries that have huge unemployment rates right now I mean Spain is just one example it's just I mean their right. own people are having a really really hard time finding jobs and you're competing against all these people so in addition to everything that's already been said of course if you can get an internship or a network but I think If you could get on with an American company that has some kind of branch or something abroad, that would be a good, you know, entree, entrance to the market to get your foot. It's just, I'm just being honest, it's just very tough. Um, You know, if I wanted to live, my wife is French, so um, if we wanted to live in France, if I don't have European citizenship, I'm at a huge disadvantage. Because if it's a job that requires English, they're almost obliged to take a British person over me because it's so much easier. They're part of the European Union, community, whatever. I'm not. So, yes, I have the opportunity to become a French citizen. So, if I become a French citizen, I am a European. My job opportunities are much better. I'm not saying find a European American. I'm I'm saying that because it's so difficult, maybe you could find for an American company abroad. Because if the American company wants you, they'll fight for you. They'll expedite the process of you getting a work permit or the resident card or what have you. Because I just know it's very tough. I mean, I've lived abroad, I've worked abroad, but I also hear people who want to work abroad all the time and it's just not easy. So I would, I would say, in addition to everything you've heard, try to maybe focus on an American company abroad, get your foot in the door, then once you're there, maybe you can Possibilities, and I would say that for
3: anyone who's interested in working abroad, again, teaching English, um, both in Europe and increasingly in Asia, uh, is really a huge opportunity. I did it. Nate's done it. Um, and there are, despite the high unemployment, you should definitely write about that. I, not speaking from experience, it was 10 years ago. I don't know, I'm not sure I'm up, up to speed on the, on the latest developments in this in this career field, but. I think there are still a lot of opportunities for teaching English, business English, general English. There's a lot of schools that will look to uh, to hire you on full time just to do that, um, and I think that's still probably still probably the case um, in, a, in a lot of the major European countries, especially in Eastern Europe, uh, where language skills are not quite up to our language skills are not quite up to where uh, maybe Western Europe is still to this day. So, um, you know, I think that might be a, something that you'd be interested. I we definitely encourage you to look into it there are some interesting possibilities there that you can make pretty good living at uh, you know, um you've LBAs, but you'll be doing all right. So. I, this is terrible. I can
1: just know who wants to ask all a right. question. Johnny.
0: So hindsight being 2020, this might be a bit of a tough question, but uh, what are some skills or things that you've used in each of your professions that you would have wished you maybe Practice or critiqued more
3: when you were in the graduate school. Mm-hmm. That's a bit of a tough question. Um, I, I, I can start. So um, mm-hmm. a few things. So I guess one would be really looking at any opportunity you have in graduate school. I don't know if you're a teaching assistant or mm-hmm. a graduate assistant. Um, and really looking at how you can leverage those skills that you're building in a teaching environment into other areas, right? So I kind of look back at my time as a teaching assistant um, as a way or as a time when I was able to really further develop my organizational skills, my communication skills. Um, I still to this day think about, think back to how I was thinking about the best way or the the most effective way to present information to different kind of learners who so they would know, best communicate it to them. And that really to this day is something that I think about when I'm delivering presentations in my professional life, right? So that's I think the more you can try to get better at that um, and try to hone those type of skills, I think you can really apply that in any any profession, right? Um, that's something I definitely think back on and wish I had maybe thought more about it at that time uh, to kind of get to your question maybe I uh, could have been even better at it but I, I think it really does help um, you know if you're if you're teaching uh, foreign language and then I guess another, another thought that popped in my head was project management skills um, I think a lot of I don't know if anybody in here is doing an MBA so I don't want to talk badly about MBA students but a lot of people who come out of business school um, you know, they got a lot of good marketing background, they know a lot about generally how to do business but from a day-to-day, nuts and bolts, kind of how do we get things done, project management kind of perspective. Um, very often um, fresh graduates, people uh, coming into the workforce often don't have that background. I think, as I understand it, business schools are getting better at teaching project management nowadays, but anything you can do to try to learn about project management skills, project management techniques. techniques there's, uh, you know, there are courses out there, there are certifications that you can do. Uh, some of them do require some professional experience, uh, but some are, um, some are a little bit uh, more geared to uh, um, students or people um, you know, such as yourselves that are getting ready to graduate. Um, so I would definitely recommend anything that you can do to highlight your skills in that and hone your skills in that area.
2: Um, would be a benefit to um, Definitely something I did not do that I should have done was take more advantage of all the opportunities that were available to me. I, I love my job. What I really want to do is work in international affairs or study abroad, though. That's where I really want to be. Um, and when I was um, working in my master's, I had the opportunity to get an assistantship in the education abroad office, and I didn't do it, and I'm suffering for it now. <laughs> um, because it's the same, despite all my experience, when I go to apply for a study abroad job, it's three to five years experience in the study abroad office, which I don't have. I've got tons of experience in a lot of different things, but not in the area where I really want to be. And I had the opportunity to do that. And I was like, well, I've got too much going on. I got a TA in German already. You know, I'm working on these other degrees. I just didn't make the time for it. So definitely looking for those opportunities and making use of them, that's not necessarily a skill. It's just, you guys are in there right now. If there's an opportunity make sure you take it um, you know if it's going to benefit you um, so that would be the main thing um, another thing and this applied more to those of you who want to go into education is I did not focus as much time as I wish I had on the teaching aspect of it I was more concerned about my degrees and finishing those um, and I'm teaching now so I wish I had spent more time developing those skills because I'm having to develop them now which is fine but I wish I'd put the time in when I was in grad school to really develop those skills, so that would be better at my job than I am now. Um, So, um, because you've got a lot of of resources around you, your professors who want you to be good teachers, Um, you know, university resources. So, just making, and again, it goes back to making taking advantage of opportunities
0: that you have. I think for me, it would have been um, study abroad earlier than what Mm -hmm, I did. mm -hmm so if you have those opportunities that's a way of, of showing your experience with the with the culture in the country so as we talked about before if you can't find a job abroad and study abroad is at least you're showing you're committed to that culture that that country and you're gaining more and more experience which i think is good um i didn't have any problems with the teaching because that was my background but i would have because i wanted to go into education and, and higher education i would have really Work on publishing. That's what I would have done. That's super important for me uh, in my position. So I maybe would have tried to get things published as a graduate student, even if it's in like a graduate journal, because that looks super good. And when you go, if you get to a doctorate, or if you, know, if you want to teach, and there's any kind of tenure requirement, or you know, that's going to look really good. That's going to put you over other candidates. It's all about what makes you what distinguishes you from all the other candidates. So if that's because you have a proven track record of publishing, maybe you can pick up another language, maybe one that's less spoken, which that's, that's a unique thing about you. I mean, and that's what I tried to do when I told you I wanted to go into the Renaissance period because that's the least studied. That was very strategic. You know, but it has to be something you love and you like. I'm not saying go into an area just for the job. You have to really like it. But that's also because I don't know how many of you want to go on and teach or whatever. 19th, 20th century, really saturated sometimes. So think about another time period if, if you want to be a teacher. Are you interested in another time period? That might be something. Um, just what I would just encourage you try to emphasize and highlight what makes you different from everybody else.
2: Uh, actually want to steal his publishing, that's, I, that's really good. I wish i thought of that. Because um, <laughs> I've been, on, uh, at BCTC, I've been on a lot of search committees, and very, very few people publish. I mean, if you have that on there, that really does set you out from other people. Yeah. Uh, per, uh,
1: per teddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jason, I have a question
3: for you. you what, as what, you look at all of this, I mean, you have a rather, What role did your undergraduate degree play in all this? I mean, we have worked very hard to reestablish languages and international economics Mm -hmm. as an undergraduate degree that is meaningful on this campus. So I'm just very curious, you know, what, how that shaped everything that followed, or did it? Yeah, no, it it certainly did. Uh, So I think, you know, my early undergraduate career, I was just a straight German major. I was interested in maybe one day teaching German, uh, probably at the university level. Was kind of where my, I think my head was at one point. Um, and the FLY program came about um, I think around my juniorish year, um, and it was good timing for me because I was actually I was even considering being a music major at one point. It was German, music, uh, and then FLY came around, it really it made a lot of sense to me at the time. Uh, I thought open international economics was always kind of something, you know, um, in the back of my head I thought was always interesting. Um, and just being someone who's always interested in current affairs and things going on, I thought, well, it could be an inter- interesting field to get into. That really kind of took me down the path of thinking, well, you know, maybe um, doing things other than teaching, right? Um, it kind of set me on the path that I think I eventually ended up on. Uh, going into Patterson school and doing these other things, right? So, yeah, I think it definitely sparked my interest back then and and kind of got got me on the trajectory uh, to where I am now. Well, I'm
1: going to... Linda, okay. Um, I have sort of a question both for the audience and the panelists. It wasn't until I put the panel together that I realized there's a certain gender pattern in the the panel, and I and I looked through my records and I realized almost all the people who have done concurrent degrees or gone into these professions maybe all of them have been men and I I am at a loss why that is and do you think there are I don't want to put you all on the spot but are there huh but are there are are there Psychological barriers. Why our women graduate students are not doing some of these? Has it been a lack of information? Are you are you interested too? No, yes. Good. This is for the this is for the audience. It can be. To see me. It can be. But do you think there are some barriers besides lack of knowledge? I'm, I'm really curious. I don't want to look at the women and put them on the spot or the men, but
2: do we have any kind of a breakdown in terms of you know, just looking at the fly program, for example? That's one thing that would interest me. My recollection.
1: we're doing now but uh, I wonder if some of this is also the old traditions of women tend to be teachers that we don't we aren't taught to think about other kinds of careers I I really don't know but uh, yes I I have a concurrent um, degree in both TESL and German. for German but what uh, drew me to it was talking to you, Dr. Worley, because I, my first, like, I think my first year, my second semester, I knew I wanted to teach, but I wanted to get something other than German to kind of distinguish me from the other German mm-hmm. teacher applicants. So then I talked to you, and you mentioned Tesla and a couple other ideas, and then I went and talked to the, actually, the higher education office, and then talked to these people, talked to these people, and then finally decided I really liked Tesla, and went and observed other mm-hmm. Tesla teachers and really liked it, and that's. The golf got the ball rolling for me. Okay, so. yeah. So partly information, mm-hmm. and it's partly mm-hmm. I'm telling people to teach. Mm. Yeah, no. but it's There's something to think about because there are a lot of careers out there. Do you have other questions for me? I have yet my question. Yeah, yes. I have a question. I'm sure not everybody want to say it, so I'm just gonna ask it. Um, with uh, solid. I I know people, but I'm saying like as far as like you three, um, you know, because like teaching, usually people don't get paid a lot, because that's what I want to do. But I'm saying as your, um, you know, job right now, how's the salary? Is it, I'm not asking what you make, but like, you know, is it like a doable? (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: I, don't, I don't know how to ask this question.
2: So. Well, I know, we, we don't need numbers, Yeah, right. it isn't a living way. Yes. I, I, I'll go first this time. I, I love my job. It's a great job. I work with students. It, it's something I, I like going to work every day. I do have stressful days, sure. I have students cuss me out. I have one other day, so some days are not great. But overall, I love my job, and that's a big part of it. Am I going to get rich? No. Do I live comfortably? Sure um but i get other parts i get two weeks off paid for christmas every year which is nice uh, you know um i get lots of holidays uh, i get two months off in the summer with pay um i get to teach on the side i make extra money doing that i have flexibility my job likes to come up with different initiatives so yeah salary's a part of it but i mean there there's always ways to make more money if that's what you want to do but definitely being happy with what you're doing is a big part of it but yeah you, you can definitely Live off what I what I do, <laughs> uh, but I can tell you, advisors generally are, are going to start at around thirty two thousand dollars. It depends where you go, um, and you can end up in you know in the high forties, low fifties. Now, if you want to go into like a director, then you
0: to know, get above that. It's it's very comfortable, I, I would say. Of um, course, you get know, the further you go where you get as far as promotion and tenure and all that um, but also just the perks that you know the time we have all essentially because I'm faculty I'm not there when the students are not there and I don't so I don't have to work the winter term I have, I have two months off during the summer I have spring break and fall break um, I have a very flexible schedule except for my nine hours on the desk I come and go want, just like teaching faculty um, so I don't have a nine to five um, and people think librarians now, if you're staff, that's one thing, but we're faculty, so we, we can kind of come and go. Um, you know, I can take a sabbatical, I can do that. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's, you know, ex- extremely lucrative, but all the perks, when you figure them in, I think it's, it's comfortable. Um, I would
3: say, on my side, somewhere like Lex Market can really vary. It kind of depends on... What your background is, if you go in as a kind of an entry-level engineer, you might be in one uh, one salary range. If coming out as an MBA, coming into sales and marketing, you might be at, at, at the other end of the scale. It, it really kind of it really kind of varies. So, um, yeah, living wage for sure, but it, it, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of across the board in terms of where you end up, what your background is, and that kind of just reminded me of a good point that that Sean mentioned before that you know if you're foreign language is great, don't get me wrong, but really um, to make yourself more interesting, more employable, to broaden your opportunities, pairing foreign language with another field of study is, I I think, crucial um, for your future development, for your future careers. Uh, Whether that's engineering, whether it's teaching, whether it's whether it's MBA, whether it's what it is, combining it with something is, I think, is very, very important. Now, academia, teaching, thats maybe a little bit of a different story, but if you're thinking of doing anything other than teaching academia, I would definitely encourage you to think about different concurrent degrees, what you're interested in, what you might be able to combine French and business. or could you do French and international development? Be a very interesting field. Um, different things, right? There's all different kind of combinations you can do. I think concurrent degrees are pretty flexible at the UK, so I would definitely encourage you to think about um, you know, where you might be able to go, even if you're in your senior year, what, what could you do? tack on an extra year to do something um, that's
2: concurrent right so um, yeah I think that was a very good point that, that Sean made so definitely think about that and then if your question is well why don't I instead of getting the language why don't I just get that other degree having those two degrees definitely is another thing that's going to set you apart it used to be everybody everybody needs a bachelor's to get a job now it's getting to, pretty much everybody needs a master's to get a job yeah um, so having that other one, especially you know, if they're totally separate things, it can be a little more difficult. But if they really, if there's something you can convince them, show them how they work together, that can really set you apart from other people. Very good
1: point. And, and I did want to say that all three people use their languages. be it, be it Sean, the, the, the resident expert in, in for the humanities for French language, uh, you, you teach German. You. It, was, it allowed you to get to the international, you've been working in, in Europe and an international thing. So it is a synergy of the two that
3: like. and I do get to use my German on, on the job once I want, that. so that's good. <laughs> yeah, any other questions? Now's
1: the time, yes?
3: It's more a request uh, for the panelists. Could you talk a little bit about the general notions of flexibility, whether that's geographical flexibility, willingness to move around, uh, willingness to look at or to to accommodate requests within an institution that may move you in a new direction and things like that, that you hadn't considered, that doesn't immediately sit perfectly with you, uh, and so on. But that's a little further down the road, uh, but it might be interesting to talk about that as well. Yeah, so I guess I can take that. Um, Yeah, flexibility is key, I think. in any profession you're going to pursue. I mean, for me, um, and the, the story I told you about uh, where I got to where, where I am today, I uh, definitely had to be flexible. It's um, not to say that I don't still aspire to other things down the road, but I did have to be flexible to kind of get to where I, where I am today, and I uh, feel like I've been pretty successful at that. And that really had to do with being open to other possibilities, to say, well, yeah, I want to work in international business, that's, that could be an interesting career path for me. I'm in an international business, they're offering me this IT project, this information technology project to work on. Well, I don't know anything about IT, but it could take me to France. But, okay, well, so maybe I'll learn something about IT, right? So there's, there's there's things that can really develop to really take you in different directions that you might not have considered before that, um,
2: that you just kind of need to be prepared for, right? Make outside the box and just be open to it. Um. What's going on at my institution right now? With, well, with most institutions, is budgets are way down. Uh, at least our tuition dollars have gone down a lot this year. Um, so there've been some layoffs. So it means more work for the those of us who are left. So you definitely got to be willing, wherever you go, to you know, be flexible to take on additional duties that maybe you didn't sign on for. Um, I've certainly done that, and um, but I still love my job. You know, sometimes you have to be willing to make sacrifices to do what you like doing. So just being aware that it's it's a competitive job market out there. So if you want, you know, if there's a job you want, you may have to make some sacrifices, take on duties you don't want to do, Um, go places you don't want to go. For example, well, somebody emailed me yesterday. They want me to teach another class in the spring, but it's like an hour drive away, and it's like, okay, if I say no, are they going to ask ever ask me again? They, oh well, he we offered a class, he said no, so well, and because I mean we've got a list a mile long of people who want to teach classes so if I say no they just have to move on the next guy never ask me again so I, I agree um, you know I, I'm not gonna make that much money considering the drive I have to make but in the future you know it's, it'll, it'll pay off and then I will hopefully get classes back here so yeah
0: I'd definitely be, be willing to, to make some of those sacrifices and adjustments I think flexibility comes geographically if I'm interested in French if I have my heart set on France if I really want to work in a French environment I need to maybe think about Africa I need to think about Quebec I need to think about Asia possibly depending on how badly you want that French environment, don't just focus on one country. Uh, I would say keeping yourself abreast in your field so whether that's keeping up with the latest theories or the latest um, ways of teaching um, modes of teaching, styles of teaching um, like me, for instance, when I first started, I didn't have to answer reference questions through social media. But I have to do that now. So what I'm just saying is keep yourself open to the possibility that you may have to keep learning. If you say, I'm not going to learn anymore, then you're in trouble. Because in our society, you're, there's such a knowledge boom. You, you're, things are always changing. Nothing stays the same. So you have to be flexible in your willingness to keep abreast of what's happening and don't be afraid to take additional classes i mean if you feel like you need maybe a little certificate program or you know i've forgotten this can i take can i audit this class or whatever just to keep yourself sharp i would say be flexible and be willing to do that i know some people don't have that time don't have the money geographically their their spouse or companion whatever they can't move but if you do have that flexibility think in those different
1: Well, I think this is the perfect time maybe to stop supposedly at 4.15, so if you walk down slowly, there are supposed to be some refreshments downstairs where you could talk or until the refreshments come, talk to our guests individually. I'm sure. I'll check this out. I'm sure they'd be glad. because <laughs> um, sometimes you might want to ask a question in a group but talk individually with people, please do this. And I would like, send me some feedback whether you think these sorts of things are valuable, if we can continue them. Um, And I do want to say, you know, we have talked about concurrent degrees, but there are also concurrent certificates, and all the concurrent means is that nine credit hours count for both degrees. It's nothing uh, magical or anything, it's very simple. And if it's a certificate that's only 15 or 18 hours, you're thinking of six hours beyond what you would do anyway. So there's all of that. I hope you ask questions. I hope you keep on thinking. And I'm going to ask a question later. Everybody says to network, and I'm never quite sure what that actually means. (laughs) I'm serious. Am I that? Because it seems so phony to go. So I go, hi. But how can
3: how yeah, it's not that much fun. But yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's essentially what you're doing. So. You really have to? You can, yeah, so <laughs> okay. just get yourself, go to meetings, go to conferences, introduce yourself. I want you to start start doing that. You just, you get comfortable with it. You know, the okay, well, super, I want to
1: thank everybody. This was Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and thanks to the College of Arts and Sciences and the Department of Modern and Classical Languages, Literatures, and Cultures for making this podcast possible.